Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Time to wrap up the week here. Got some news to catch up on. And then, of course, we have to do the Central Division. Yay, Central Division, which somehow amazingly actually isn't <laughs> the most depressing division anymore. It's actually now belongs to the Southeast. Preview coming next week. All right, let's get started here with the Bucks. They've got about $5 million to work with below the tax line. They do have a $1.9 million trade exception from the Rashad Vaughn for Tyler Zeller trade last year. And if you're the Bucks, just how are you approaching this trade deadline? What are your goals at, at this point in time? Their biggest goal should be just maximizing the next two seasons. Remember, that is Giannis is, is under contract through the 2021 season, but 2020 is when he is presumably going to make his decision on a designated veteran extension. So that's why you want to kind of focus on that narrower time frame. The reason the Bucks are less interesting, I think, than a lot of other really good teams is that it looks like they already made their big moves. I mean, they by trading a, a future protected first for George Hill, though I would argue the larger part of that trade was to dump the last year for Del Vadova and John Henson, not only are they out two first-round picks, but they don't have a ton of mechanisms to get better. They can use that Rashad Vaughn exception if they want to. They also have 15 guys on roster, and other than Jason Smith, I think they like the other 14. Yeah, that's a, a great point. DJ Wilson has been playing better now. We thought he might actually be a guy who uh, they would decline his option. That uh, one, one of the few times that we've suggested that, where actually now that he's playing well, that does doesn't look like it it would have been the right advice at the time yeah i mean they've got guys you know Connaughton, snell is barely playing sterling brown we mentioned wilson you know thon maker has been capable in the playoffs i mean i guess the one thing they might want to upgrade at is something at backup center but it, yeah that's what well i actually have another one i think yeah. they should granted they're probably not going to get a perfect fit but if they can get a defensive wing just a guy to, to even if oh, they're yeah. limited just to slow down opposing i mean i don't know if john simmons is that guy anymore he's probably not there sadly enough this is another team that could have used travion graham I, I i like that i get to go back to that now after he did a pretty good job on james harden on although Wednesday someone night. did someone did note that he has like 38 percent true shooting this year granted doesn't matter in only nine games doesn't matter uh, he's still but, travion graham <laughs> but yeah he, he did look good and i i mean it's only i think he's taking 50 shots in the year yeah um so yeah i think that's a good one i mean when you look at the who they're gonna have to guard uh they're gonna have to guard jason tatum they're gonna have to guard Kawhi leonard you know i think chris middleton is adequate at best in that type of role now knowing that you're gonna get on the trade market is gonna be good enough to where you're gonna not play the guys that they already have like middleton in particular but yeah someone who all right Kawhi leonard's on fire we can just give this guy five minutes a half uh, on Kawhi Leonard is something but again I mean that guy's not gonna be able to shoot well enough I mean they've built their entire system around everybody being able to shoot I also think you know the hope is maybe if you're a believer in Wilson I'm you know he's very inexperienced he's not very tough you know those are his two weaknesses even if he is going to shoot the ball better and move his feet a little bit better be a little more athletic uh so I'm not sure I can count him in the playoffs Ursan Ilyasova to me is too slow um against some of these teams perhaps you know certainly against golden state i think that'd be the case pick and roll with him and Kyrie irving probably not going to look too good so maybe you could say 
one more forward with some experience who can shoot the ball and defend but again like you know anybody who can shoot and defend is probably going to be out of their price range i mean they've got essentially second rounders and bad second rounders at that over the next couple years if i were another team actually i might say trade me your second rounder in 2021 i think that's more valuable than their second rounders the next couple of years well, they also have Washington's 2021, which might be more interesting to a team huh. just on the on the bet that the Wizards collapse in a, a, a hailstorm. Like that's that's more possible to me than that the Bucks will. Yeah, that's a a good thought there as well. I'm not sure who comes to mind there as far as who would be available. Again, they may be more focused on the buyout market and then there's the question of salary matching as well they don't really have any more filler salary that's available at this point in time either i guess smith would be it you know you you could trade him again he wouldn't be able to be aggregated i don't believe i think that trade happened when did that trade happen maybe he can be aggregated it was like right close to. Denver. It was really, it was really close. I think it was just after because I believe the Alec Burks trade happened on like the last day, and that trade, the Burks trade, I think happened before the Smith trade. Not December eighth. So, uh, yeah, it's not. I, I don't. I think it's going to be the trade deadline is the seventh. They probably did get it in like right under the wire. That was probably the thought there. Uh, so. Anyway, maybe you could aggregate Smith together a, a little bit more. You know, I don't like Wes Matthews is probably out of their price range. And again, I'm not really sure. You know, maybe old friend Luke Mute with the Clippers. If he's, I mean, but he's been hurt the whole year. And who knows when the hell he's coming back. Another guy we've just heard who's been out for months. And we've heard no, nothing other than sore knee for him. So I don't really see what's out there for them. My guess would be that they don't really do much they they have that 1.9 million dollar trade exception maybe that could be used in the same manner as Smith, since they have this five million under the tax line to just actually take on some money from another team that's in the tax issues and reduce their tax bill with that 1.9 million dollar trade exception and get some cash for it they have as of now 4.7 4.7 million in cash that they can still receive they got 500k from the wizards in the smith deal most likely player to be traded i'm guessing probably nobody but if you have to pick one because we do i i guess i'd go jason smith just because he's the only guy that there isn't really a, a case for him to be on the roster beyond this one thing i was thinking about is i could see them just talking to teams about tony snell because if he's if bud just doesn't trust him i i, I don't know like i like tony snell i think they should keep him but maybe somebody else is like hey we can we can do something with that yeah and Snell, his money goes for two more years after this one. If they're going to try and bring back Middleton, same principle as why they moved on from Henson and Delavatova. You know, if they could get Middleton, Bledsoe, Lopez, Brogdon, those guys are all free agents. So you might say that Snell could be moved there to facilitate resigning them. But if one of those guys leaves, then you need Tony Snell. So I think it, it makes more sense to wait until the offseason. And then if you need the extra space under the tax need because you know their new publicly financed arena is not enough for them to ever pay the tax apparently then they could move on from snell in the off season before we get to the piece i just want to remind you about the nba cast if you're an international listener in particular we now have youtube streaming available just google youtube nate duncan and it, you'll find it you'll be able to subscribe that people seem to really be liking that the reason the youtube works great for international people or for people who just are streaming the games that aren't on live tv is you can actually pause it to enable the sync up we did a fun red zone style maybe we'll call it crunch time from now on where we skipped around to some games they had a little more flexibility during the regular season when games got out of hand we went to another one so if you want to just post up on the couch with us at a, at a future time, we'll hopefully still be doing one a week of these, sometimes with just regular format where we focus on one game, other times where we kind of skip around a, a little bit. Our next uh, show is going to be on Martin Luther King Day. Probably won't do Warriors-Lakers now if LeBron's not going to play, so maybe we'll pick a, a different game. There's a lot of good games that day, though, so stay tuned for that. And you can also watch on Twitch, Nate Duncan NBA, or follow me on Periscope for that. And uh, watch the games with us. Get some play-by-play. Get your questions answered. Let's turn to the Pacers now. Generally not particularly aggressive in the trade market to improve. I mean, I guess going back to when they traded for Evan Turner, which was uh, one of the more disastrous trades that, that we've seen for team chemistry back in 2014. 
they've got plenty of room below the tax so no real issues in terms of their flexibility what do you think these guys need danny Pacers are a, a very deep team, especially at the one and the five, but they could use, I would say, another another forward, especially somebody who who could really defend, I think would be would be good. A guy who because they so have are you Mc- talking about a, a wing guy or more of a more of a power forward type of guy. I'm, I guess I'm thinking more more of a wing guy. Yeah, I mean, it their could- threes are Bogdanovich and McDermott right now, though right. Bogdanovich has made some improvements. Yeah, and another one where I, I'm not sure that they would be able to, unless they wanted to like give up a first, they'd be giving getting somebody who is good enough to like start or anything for them. But just just having another option, I, I think, is kind of there. And I totally understand why they let Gr three go. I mean, especially with you know how his yeah. season well, has been well, he's going. Not good. That's, yeah, that's how the season has been going for the Pistons. But they don't. The other hard thing for the Pacers uh, is that they don't have any available exceptions. They, you know, they don't. They haven't created any trade exceptions. They used the mid level on Kylo Quinn, a player who has who is talented, but just doesn't really fit their needs. There, I wonder if they would even consider. I don't think they would consider trading him for something like going big for slightly smaller. But the problem there is that O'Quinn has value as the replacement in case either Turner or Sabonis is unavailable. And so giving that up, it would have to be for somebody capable. And you you always want to do right by guys who signed with you. So maybe, maybe he wouldn't want that. So, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, the bigger, more interesting decision for the Pacers is how they feel about the guys that are pending free agents. A lot, basically all of them are in the rotation, you know, Darren Collison, Bogdanovich, Tyreek Evans, Thad Young, I, I consider in a different group just because I can't see a reasonable way for them to, to lose him and stay good, as good as they are. So, you know, maybe if they don't see Darren Collison as a part of their future and they think that the the drop-off from a Collison-Joseph Holiday back point guard combo to a Joseph Holiday one is there, maybe you could move Collison to a team that's a little bit, that needs, that needs more shot creation. But that's a hard trade, especially if Pritchard wants to keep the flexibility that the Pacers have where they have, you know, somewhere around 45, 48 million for the summer of 2019. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, are they going to use their cap space this summer? Uh, probably, although they have a lot of guys to re-sign as well. Uh, I do think, to me, the biggest spot on the roster that pops out that they need to upgrade is that point guard. Uh, I think, you know, they've basically got uh, Evans is uh, dicey, uh, you know, not that reliable. Oladipo is having a little bit of a down year. They could use one more guy who's really a big pick-and-roll threat. I wouldn't consider Joseph or Carlson that I mean I think Joseph does a good job of probing but he's not really you know doesn't have quite enough scoring or passing punch so I don't see them making a big move and, and moving on from Carlson again I think that's both because it is an expiring contrast there's a risk there as as you noted in terms of taking back money that goes past the summer and then also just because he's a part of their team he's in the rotation and they're good so you, generally guys like that don't get traded I mean I think a Jeremy Lin type could be an upgrade for them. Someone who I think actually would be a really good fit there would be like Derek Rose if the Wolves fall out of it. Now, Rose would have to approve a trade. He would lose his bird rights, uh, or his early bird rights, I should say, if he gets moved from the Wolves. And I think he's thrived there, so I don't know if he would even want to leave. But I think he's actually someone just to, that type of attacking could really help. He'd be a nice pick and roll partner with Turner, obviously a, a health risk. But who knows what the trade value would be there? I don't really see uh, someone else. Maybe like Isaiah Thomas is so like if he can get healthy. I don't think he really fits on the Nuggets anymore. Probably more of a buyout guy there, but. You could throw him in now. Would he be okay with not playing some nights? You know, I mean, I think he could come in on the second unit. They've got some good defenders around him, and just maybe try and microwave heat up. I mean, that, but Evans kind of fills that role. But I, you know, I, I don't think he's been that effective in it. Uh, maybe like uh, Taya Dosich could give them another option there. Like actually, O'Quinn for Taya Dosich would be an interesting one to me because the the to me O'Quinn might be the best traditional center on the Clippers you know give them another option um although they've got Boban they've got Gortat but you know Harold plays a lot so I, I'm I don't see them doing anything this has been <laughs> I've been rambling here trying to find something but um yeah I, I don't really see it happening yeah one thing that does help them the Pacers have basically all their own picks they have this weird second that basically only goes if it's 31 to 44 so it's it's I guess you could say it's reverse protected because it's they only the the Nets only get it if it's good so other than that, Pacers are free and clear 
first round picks, second round picks moving forward. Most likely player to be traded. I'm going to go with Collison just because there aren't really that many clear options and they don't need to like move young guys like they have on Anigbogu and Alizé Johnson. I, I don't think they like need to move those guys to clear space or anything else. So uh, I guess I'll go with Collison. There isn't really a good option here. Concur. Let's talk about the Pistons, another team that is really impacted in terms of the luxury tax. They are less than $500,000 below the tax at this point. They do have some trade exceptions, $7 million trade exception for Boa Marjanovic back from the Griffin trade. Uh, they also have $2.9 million remaining of they're mid-level, but again, you know, they're not going to want to take on hardly anything here. I mean, even the buyout market, they could be a little pressed unless they find a way to cut salary. Well, they have a way to cut salary if they think about it. And yes. that's and that's that they should use some of the available cash to dump Henry Ellenson. I mean, they already declined Ellenson's fourth year option. He's making one point eight or one point nine million this year. So if paralleling the Michael Carter Williams trade and a few others that we've seen recently, if they can trade him, then they clear his entire amount off of the tax calculation. Then they could get they could even use some or all, almost all of that mid level exception, the remaining MLE money, they could offer more than the minimum to somebody. It clears a roster spot. Like that first of all, that's a move that should have happened like two months ago because the same situation was there and there were teams that had roster spots. So they could just been like, hey, Team X, you know, you have a small trade exception or something like that. Let's just do this. We'll pay you more money than you're going to owe Ellenson. That's fine. And they did. And but they should absolutely do it now, even if they should have done it before. Yeah. Now they would love to get off some money for next year as well when they're going to have quite a bit committed. They'll be over the cap nearly certainly. If they move on from the cap holds of Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock, they would have about $15 million to work with below the tax. Also, next year is the last year of the Josh Smith stretch. It is kind of funny to think about, like, what if they had just not stretched in? They probably, maybe they don't make the playoffs that one year in 2016 it was, but then they wouldn't have been playing this luxury tax stance the last couple of years either with that extra $5 million on the book. So they would love to get off of some salary candidates there. John Luer making 9.5 next year. Langston Galloway making 7.3. Those are, are, are the two. Reggie Jackson perpetually someone that they are trying to move since he struggled with all those injuries. So those are the three kind of bad contracts. And then of course they've got Blake Griffin making 34 million next year and Drummond making 27. There's been some talk about maybe Drummond trying to be moved. I know this is something you said, like maybe there's one team that still would fall in love with him as a rebounder and think they can get more out of him defensively. I don't think that's realistic anymore. He's definitely overpaid for where he is right now as a player. The high replacement level at the center position hasn't really developed much. Loves to post up inefficiently. I mean, would you just be willing to kind of dump Drummond? He's got two years left now, basically, twenty-eight million a year. So theoretically, if 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 it's if 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 there was a team that said we will take Andre Drummond without giving you anything back, I would I would do that trade or, or, or an expiring contract that yeah, same basic thing. Yeah, I I would do that for them just because it gives them it gives the Pistons a lot more flexibility and center is the position where there is the the highest replacement level so you could do i think they could do a lot with that and while drummond is a capable player and he's better than the replacement level i think you could use that margin to do a lot of other things that they're going to be hamstrung yeah. by moving forward because yeah. this team just i mean they're not good enough at one the one through three yeah like, and and they, and they without them, that yeah. they're not going to be able to do much other than beat the magic in that terrible terrible game on wednesday <laughs> Yeah, they're also out a bunch of seconds in the future. And while they do have all their own firsts going forward, it is important to remember that they traded their first last year. Shea Gilgis-Alexander would certainly look good in a Pistons uniform right now. So when you've done that, I mean, there is a thought, oh, we'll go all in. Maybe someone actually tweeted me an idea of like them trading for both Conley and Gasol, giving up Drummond and giving up some more picks. Uh, I don't necessarily see that as... The type of conception that they would want, I think that they realize that, you know, they've got Blake Griffin. They can be stable in this range that they're at right now, but it probably at this point doesn't make sense to double down even further. We've seen it happen before, but I think they 
other than Griffin, I mean, do they have, I mean, I guess you could say Drummond, but given how overpaid he is, maybe less so, you know, who's an above average player for their role on this team? Yeah, maybe Ish Smith is a backup point guard, but, you know, he has his limitations. So I, I'm not sure where they go from here. I think they just are going to try to ride out the Griffin era and make some moves on the margins. Maybe this summer could be more realistic trade time for Drummond. They're going to try and make the playoffs this year, but I, you know, I'm not really sure, especially given where they are in regard to the tax and not really having any seconds, not having any young players of note either. I mean, if they want to acquire someone, even, you know, someone who can run a pick and roll as a point guard or a shooting specialist or whatever, I don't think they have the ammo to do that, to be honest. Well, and and a quick point on that. This is why ownership being, you know, like, let's say this is the difference with Paul Allen. Like, Having that $7 million trade exception for Boban, if they were willing to just dip into the tax for one year, would make a huge difference for this team. Like, they could get a legitimately, like, good rotation player for that kind of money, you know, it, it, and then they would have the, they could have theoretically used the full mid-level. Part of the reason they ended up with Glenn Robinson was because they didn't, they couldn't use the full amount. And so it's these small types of things. And I'm not saying, oh, the Pistons are such a good team that you, you dip into it. It's just that if you have an owner that's willing to do it because the marginal benefit is, is higher. I mean, it's not like it would be a high tax bill. They're not worried about being the repeat in the repeater because they'll probably duck under again next year or, or the year after either way. It is something that gets lost in this because the, the tax is either so punitive or considered to be so punitive that teams aren't willing to, that a selection of teams aren't willing to pay it. Yeah, if they did want to dig into the asset pool, I mean, this could be another Jeremy Lin could help them type of thing. But would that be trading Lure for him? Now, what are you going to throw in with Lure? A future firsts to get off of that and get Jeremy Lin? I mean, that just doesn't really make a ton of sense to me for where this team is and, and the lack of young talent that they have in the roster. I mean, and they could very easily make miss the playoffs too. I mean, uh, one Blake Griffin injury, and this is like, you know, a 25-win team. So, uh because they just have so little creation. I mean, they might be the worst offense in the league or close to it if, if Griffin gets hurt. And I mean, that's considering how good their health has been this year. I mean, Ish Smith, I think, is their only main guy who's missed much time. To be where they're at right now, under 500, is not too inspiring. Uh, this could be another Taya Dosich one, perhaps. And, you know, that's one that could fit into that trade exception. Again, the, even to get Taya Dosich, you know, what are their assets with them being out those second rounders going forward so uh yeah pretty depressing in detroit uh sorry for you uh michiganders we can't give you uh much relief from uh that oppressive winter right now in the middle of january well luke and has played well i'll I might talk about him in the 15 and 60 you can look forward to that i like him most player most likely to be traded to me is Ellenson, just because there isn't yeah. really a point for him on this team and they could they could do the trade i advocated for pretty easily yeah, and get, I mean, the, the the buyout market again, I mean, that's maybe where, especially if, since they have some more of that mid-level that they could offer, if they could open up that space, it could certainly be useful. Let's do the Bulls now. I think they're probably the most exciting team in this division from a, a trade standpoint, but their issues are complicated by the 2019 nay. 2018 nay 2016 nay 2014 plan they have guys who are on expiring contracts they already traded away holiday that was a good, really good trade for them by the way as as we said at the time and it's looking all the better since he hasn't really produced so far in memphis trading robin lopez to take on longer salary and try to pick up an asset you would think that, that would be something they would want to do, but again, they're, they're trying to preserve. They should have about $43 million in space this offseason to work with. Jabari Parker, another guy who is a, an expiring contract that they could trade away to take on more salary. So perhaps they pivot if the deal is good enough. I mean, that's probably where they're at right now is, all right, if we can get something this good, that's really a, a solid asset we might be willing to give up some space for next year because they've been so bad and the optics around them have been so bad and we haven't heard even the remotest buzz of anybody good wanting to go there what sticks out to you uh, about their situation as we're approaching the deadline here they're 
expiring or pseudo expire quasi expiring in the Jabari Parker case where he could be if a team wants and, and they will because that $20 million option doesn't look particularly enticing right now. No, it doesn't. Th- those deals really it's it's a similar problem to Jeremy Lin where they those guys make so much money that it's impractical to to put together a deal where you trade them for expiring contracts. You know like th- there isn't really much of a a case there especially because a lot wait, of the wait, like to trade them for expiring contracts. Yeah, so like let's say let's say a team wanted Robin Lopez. Yeah. But they wanted Robin Lopez and the Bulls said, "Well, yeah, sure, we can trade with Robin Lopez, but we're not going to take on 2019-20 money." Oh yeah. There yeah, just aren't that many there there about. just aren't that many trades. So that's where you start to get into the buyout market with 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 him and maybe with Jabari as well. Because if, if you close that door, you know, if a guy's making $5 million, yeah, there are lots of guys that are making $5 million. And this is another consequence of the Sour 16s because they're just all the, a lot of those guys got years and dollars. So, you know, the Mozgovs of the world, you know, like, I don't think the, the Knicks would be so much more interested in Robin Lopez than Ennis Canner that they would, like, give up an asset to make that happen or something like that. You know, like, there, there aren't that many teams, especially competitive teams, that have the right kind of thing. So then if the Bulls are unwilling, let's say they are unwilling to take on that money, at least at the asset return that they are being offered at the time, well, then they're probably going sti- to sit pretty still. And... I think that somebody, I don't know who this is yet. Somebody is making a mistake by not doing a 1920 deal. Now, you know, like I think Cleveland got a pretty good return for the space, especially because Delvadova is actually helping them in a way that isn't really hurting their seed or I mean hurting their, their lottery odds. So maybe they're maybe. The, so that might just be that the teams that are trying to shed money aren't ponying up. But it feels like somebody somebody's missing out here. We just don't know who it is yet because we don't know what the return will be in July. Yeah, and it doesn't really make sense to me for the Bulls to be too aggressive. I mean, you might see them say, hey, we want to identify a, a young player on another team that we really like, but they're looking like they're going to be so bad for the foreseeable future that giving up one of their first-rounders doesn't appear to make a lot of sense. So, I mean, they're really kind of stuck in the mud here. You know, Markinen hasn't played a, as well, I think, as people has, have hoped that he has. You know, Carter is okay, but, you know, not a future superstar. Most likely, Levine is is falling off after a hot start. Chris Dunn hasn't looked good either. They haven't played well with all those guys available uh, under Boylan. So, I mean, now there's certainly issues with the optics here, but, I mean, I think it's, I don't see much choice for them, but other than to just continue to stay in the draft and try to get better over these these next couple of years by getting some more young talent on the team. I, I think it's just, it's too bad that this is the case, but it's been, so far, very little evidence. Granted, you could say, Hoiberg and Boylan haven't done the greatest job, but there's very little evidence that they have on this team if everyone develops kind of as you would expect from here on out, the nucleus of a solid playoff team right now. I don't see that right now. Do you? I do not. And they're also like, I mean, the thinking of the type of player that would elevate them. I mean, certainly if they, they, they got somebody like, you know, like one of the superstar small forwards or something like that, that could really elevate them. But it's hard. It's insanely hard to get those guys. And even in, in the draft, like think about how long it would take for that player to develop. It would it, unless they got, you know, say the number one pick in 2020, there was somebody I don't know about that's going to be awesome there. It's it's a tough fit. And the other big thing that kind of to think about with the Bulls is how willing are they to even kind of do the lottery ticket thing at positions where they like their starter? You know, are they going to, would they be willing to throw a small asset to get another point guard, just somebody who's interesting? Or are yeah. they going to say, this is Chris Dunn's team. We need to give him more time. Well, and yeah, that to me, I mean, I think Hutchison has shown a, a few flashes, but to say, all right, this guy is our three of the future. We don't need to upgrade there. Or to say that Dunn is our point guard of the future at this point, uh, you know, given the fact that he's like 25 already, he's really more the point guard of the present in theory. So yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to give up on Chris Dunn, but no, I think they need some more outs at those positions. And I mean, especially just someone who can shoot the ball at the one who can, you know, just a little bit better of a pick and roll distributor too much is on Zach Levine these days. So I, I think uh, it hasn't been the greatest ecosystem for these young guys, but you know, they may not be that amazingly good either. You know, it's, it's so funny too, how 
our conception of that Butler trade just waxes and wanes uh, like week to week almost it seems like with whatever the latest Butler drama is and then you know Howard marketed and Levine and, and Chris Dunn playing like the, the Bulls now have lost what eight or nine straight and like those guys haven't played that well so it's like oh maybe they didn't really get that much for it or it's it's kind of funny that even almost two years after a trade you can kind of have these fluctuations in uh, what people think and then you look back at Minnesota too right like would they rather have Levine Markkinen and Dunn if assume they would have even drafted Markkinen or uh, Sharich and Covington uh, like those guys are actually helping them right now too I mean it's I probably would rather have that package but I mean they still got Sharich and Covington for Butler so it's not like they got nothing they you could still say that they're pretty close to having been on that trade anyway we're, well we're and they got now. a play and they got a playoff berth and they had that year in yeah I don't I don't, I don't want to give them a year plus it should be Butler because that plus was not a plus yeah, a year minus. Uh, a year Jimmy minus. Um, well, and then also the Wolves got the Justin Patton pick, which you know turned out to be a, a total nothing, but could have been. But something. they could have done something yeah. with it. Yeah. Let's turn now to the Cavs to finish this out. Where are they money wise? So Cleveland at this juncture, they're about five point five million below the luxury tax after the moves that they've made in season. They still have a couple of exceptions. Uh, by my records, they still have a two point uh, about two point eight million trade exception from Sam Decker. They still have a Dwayne Wade trade exception from last year. They also have most of their mid level and biannual. Those, of course, cannot be used to acquire a player by a trade, but it could be used to sign somebody should they see fit. And the other big kind of space thing to think about with the Cavaliers is their 2019-20 obligations because they still have J.R. Smith. One of the best uses of J.R. Smith would be to take on money for next season. However, through the the acquisitions of Della Vadova and John Henson in particular, but also in the Kyle Korver trade, well, no, in the Korver trade, they took on Alec Burks and he's expiring. But so what, what they've done is they've taken on a pretty significant commitment for a good return in terms of that first round pick from the Bucks. So now they only have about $25 million, counting J.R. Smith's $4 million partial guarantee, to spend next year on draft picks, retentions, and additions while staying under the tax. Their draft pick is going to be a high pick, which means it is going to cost a lot of money, you know, something maybe in the $7, $7 million range. So then that $25 million goes down to about 18 If they want to retain Ronnie Hood, if they want to retain Alec Burks, theoretically, use their mid-level exception, they're starting to get close. So I actually think it's less likely that they make a move involving J.R. Smith than some think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're going to bring back Burks or Hood. I, I mean, you can lose a bunch of games without those guys just as easily. I don't see them like really wanting to pay those guys uh, necessarily. Well, and and the other thing that they could do to clear more money should they want to is they could move somebody at that point. Tristan Thompson, Jordan Clarkson will be expiring. Della Vadova even, and so maybe somebody's interested in kind of a more marginal move involving those guys, where the Cavs save some money so they can use like their full mid level or something, and then that team gets a better player because the Cavs still aren't going to be good. Yeah, and for Smith's situation, worth noting again, he makes. 15.7 million next year but all but 3.9 million of that is non-guaranteed and because he was signed under the old cba he can be traded at that full 15.7 million dollar figure and then cut by the receiving team whereas if he were signed under the new cba he would count outgoing as the guaranteed amount and then incoming as the total amount which would make him very difficult to trade basically you're probably only able to trade him to a team that has a a huge trade exception or has a lot of cap space so the the idea there of of him being able to be traded to give a team salary relief if he's under the new cba those big non-guaranteed contracts don't really work that way anymore but under the old cba they do and so that's why smith is perceived as a valuable contract I don't see him just being waived for that reason. I think they bring him in to the summer and then try to help out a team that wants to cut salary. And and that's really useful for them too, because as you mentioned, they're going to be likely around the cap even before their offseason starts. And so that would enable them to take on bad salary in the form of a player taken back for Smith, which they would not be able to do unless they retain Smith. So almost certainly, I would imagine, he will be on this roster until the summer. And maybe they'll run to those constraints you mentioned as far as just not having enough room below the tax to take out money. But uh, I think there's no reason for them to make a decision on Smith now to keep him around and see what develops there. Yeah, unless a team makes you an offer that you think is comparable to what you could get in the summer. Sure. I mean, and that seems unlikely, but possible, I guess. Maybe, maybe like, I was thinking about theoretically like a Mozgov for J.R. Smith trade because 
I mean, at least Jr. would be another option for Orlando, and to, to, if they were gonna, if they wanted to clear money next summer anyway, that's one that just came to mind. So there have been scattered reports about teams being interested in Kevin Love. It does seem very unlikely, though. Number one, those reports, uh, I think it was from uh, Chris Fedor at Cleveland.com, saying that the Cavs would have to be bowled over by an offer for Kevin Love. And given that, number one, he's probably a bad contract going forward. He's been injured all year and you know won't be able to prove that he's healthy, most likely before the deadline. The chances of them getting bowled over seem pretty low i mean that could just be the usual media posturing about needing to be bowled over but they certainly wouldn't get say as much as the clippers got for blake griffin last year for example love is much older probably not as good and uh you know even worse probably health issues at, at this point than griffin i right, but just to talk about it here i mean what would you be willing to take for love if you were the Cavs? Well, I mean, I think he's a negative value contract, yeah. so... If I could get off of him for, you know, an expiring uh, or a couple of expirings, even something that expired next year, I would probably do that. Because I, th- I think it's only going to just get worse uh, in terms of his value. So, you know, making $30 million a year the next Right, because cause now you, you kind of have a little bit of the mystery box thing with Kevin Love. It's like, oh, yeah, he has this injury that but he's also aged a year and not not going to play with LeBron anymore and I always thought that the return of Minnesota Kevin Love was was an experiment that wasn't particularly going to work so it is very possible to me that he lowers his value between now and let's say July or more accurately next trade deadline Something else I want to mention is that while Cleveland is probably going to be getting assets in a trade, I don't know how them having another year of top 10 protection will affect the rationale, not only now, but in July. So basically the way this works is... I I don't think there'd be a way for them to get out of the top 10, even if they wanted to. Well, if if Love, let's say he plays at an all-star level and they get, like, let's say they get Zion. Like if they and he's actually a plus, yeah, like a okay. slight plus. Okay. Yeah, they could do it, and maybe Sexton. You know, there have been point guards that looked bad in their rookie year that made that that brought it a lot more in their second year. Okay. That and they could use their mid level. I, I, there's there's a way they could do it, but I wanted to run through the math in this. I actually have a pick protection piece coming out for real for not wow for based on Real GM's amazing document, which you should use for the Athletic uh, on the pick uh, like a new pick protection primer. And so basically, if Cleveland finishes in the bottom six which they will this year then they are guaranteed to keep their pick because it's top 10 protected and then it's still pretty good odds after that so if they keep it in not only in 19 but also in 2020 then it just becomes two second round picks so that's a pretty big swing not only for them but for the atlanta hawks anything else on these guys most likely to be traded i guess we didn't do that for the bulls huh i guess it's lopez for the bulls or or, or either Lopez or Jabari but I still think like both those guys are two have such high salaries as you mentioned if they don't want to take on extra money for next year it's it, I'd view those as more buyout guys but one of those two guys for the Bulls but what about for the Cavs I'll go with JR just because I mean the, the frayed relationship with the team and not fitting their vision and maybe they can do that buying the space now trade I, I don't expect to see it but I think that's the most likely as of this time yeah, I mean, maybe you could see Hood. He had, he can block a trade, but maybe if there's a team that's interested in him and would want to give up a second, I don't really see that. I don't, I don't know that he's even played well enough to merit that, frankly. But he's he has a more tradable salary, $3.5 million. Burks, another guy probably not part of their long-term plans. What about Tristan Thompson? Tristan Thompson, we haven't talked about him at all. Uh, one thing that Kelly Eco floated, which I thought was an interesting idea, was Tristan Thompson for Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris. That gives the Houston a little bit more salary obligation for next year, $18 million versus the $15 million for Knight. But Thompson, especially with Capella out, is someone who could help them. Um, you know, I think he's got experience in a switching system. He's sli- slipped to some degree there. Um, but, you know, he's not an amazing role man, but a, an okay one. And he provided an aspect on the offensive boards that I think uh, they could benefit from. What do you think of that one? I like that there is a construction of a trade that makes Cleveland's defense even worse, like significantly worse, which is pretty spectacular. I, I guess the question there, too, is, I mean, I still think Thompson is uh, is way better than Knight. Overpaid, though, people might look at him as. 
Well, from Cleveland's perspective, I mean, I would try to squeeze some sort of, you know, like, I, I don't know how good an asset Houston would be willing to give up considering they're taking on money in the deal. But as a, from a pragmatic perspective, it gives Cleveland a little bit more wiggle room. I don't think Tristan is required to evaluate their guys. I, I do think that's maybe, I don't think I would do that trade just because the upside for Cleveland is incredibly low unless Brandon Knight just like has a rebound season, but he's already going to be playing behind Colin Sexton. So I don't think I don't think I would do it. Yeah, and Thompson as a guy who can play a little bit. I mean, maybe next year as an expiring contract, so they want to play the asset game again next trade deadline or or this off season to take on someone who goes even longer. There aren't that many of those contracts that go into like twenty twenty one. At this point, you know, there's like a Hardaway, there's you know a few of those, an Otto Porter, but not many big contracts that teams are really be looking to move. All right, that's enough of these guys. We've really been like struggling to find stuff to talk about. I mean, I don't. I would be very surprised if a major trade came out of any of the teams in this division. To be honest. Yeah, I think the biggest trade that already that happened has occurred, and that was actually between two teams in this division. The Bucks Cavs trade, I think, was the most significant involving involving these teams, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you want to do some news quickly? Absolutely. I want to start with something that just makes me really happy. Per Royce Young, Nerlens Noel has passed all of his concussion tests and is available on Thursday night against the Lakers. Considering how scary that fall was, the fact that he is is healthy and able to return this quickly is just it, it, I'm just so happy when those when those things happen and it ends up not being as terrifying as it looked. Yeah, and it was absolutely terrifying uh, when it did happen. And, and they've missed him as well, I think. I think that's been part of their problem. And they've had to play in in that Hawks game. They had to play Patrick Patterson, or they had to go back to Grant uh, as well. No- Noel, I, I mean, the PIPM has loved what he's done this year. I think he's been a big part of their success on the second unit. Mitchell Robinson finally is going to be able to return against the Wizards on Thursday night. He's missed time, of course, with an ankle and a grind. I think it's been almost 15 games now for him. Tyus Jones, though, I mean, just we talked about this in Minnesota. Just don't be the ankle on a Minnesota point guard because he has a left high ankle sprain. So he's going to be in a walking boot for several days and then day to day after that. If he has a high ankle sprain, he's going to miss a month. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I was just, uh, we're going to get to LeBron here about how it was revealed that he uh, had this grade two groin strain, which is usually a four to six week injury. And like, they're playing like he was day to day after that injury on, on Christmas. I mean, it's just like, like, why did teams do this? It's just, and Rich Paul was the one who finally revealed it. Uh, it just, it really annoys me. I mean, if he, if he has a high ankle sprain, he's not, unless it's just very mild, which high ankle sprains generally are not, like you're not coming back sooner than three weeks so like day-to-day is is a ridiculous designation while it is not a ridiculous designation minnesota is also dealing with robert covington not having a timeline you know he's dealing with this bone bruise in his right ankle and we'll see i i do think that they've they've really missed him defensively and offensively just to keep uh, you know such a good forward for them in their mix so uh, they're missing they're missing him too and one other kind of bookkeeping thing that i think is interesting malcolm brogdon now, so Brogdon and actually we can talk about both of them together. Rodney Magruder both met the starter criteria in their contracts. And so for those two guys, this is actually a material thing because what it does is it raises their qualifying offer to 3 million. It was, I believe, 1.9 for both of those guys because they're making their minimum. And so now that that for, for Milwaukee, that takes away 1.1 million in potential cap space for the heat that, ra- you know, that's more about raising the qualifying offers. And now they have to actually like the lowest thing they can do if they want to make him restrict for agent and say, hey, here's three million. That's not nearly enough for Rodney Magruder. But this could end up, you know, it, it's something that's worth mentioning for both those guys. Yeah, I don't think it's going to matter that much for them because their value is so high that taking the qualifying offer probably was not realistic for either of them. I mean, I think the getting that higher qualifying offer matters for guys when realistically their salary is going to be on an annual basis is like kind of close to what it would be you know and they for both of those guys I mean in particular Brogdon I mean I'd be shocked if he doesn't get at least 10 million a year so I don't know that like an extra when you're comparing 10 million for four years over you know versus 1.9 or 3 million you know I don't think it matters that much Magruder still I mean I would I would be very surprised if he's not getting in the six to seven million a year range at a minimum uh 
and and maybe more than that we'll talk about lebron now the soonest he in theory could be back is martin luther king day against golden state there is kind of this uh, thread throughout the reporting lately that oh maybe he could come back earlier but he'd be risking re-injury and then it would be a a much more extensive absence and rich paul saying hey you know we're just not going to do that and that's the the correct approach even if oh they might miss the playoffs this year i mean they're not winning a championship this year having a career altering injury for lebron is not what you need at this point in time uh it and even you know the idea if it is a grade two strain that's generally four to six weeks so if he makes it back in four weeks that's actually like pretty good um so i i mean i do think still there's going to be more time and it seemed like when luke walton was discussing his activity level at practice it sounded like he was just kind of standing in place making some passes shooting you know not really doing much uh in terms of movement so he did mention that he'd been doing some running but that's also not really the lateral kind of movements that are going to strain your groin. Uh, what else we got here? A few returns that we can just note. Miles Turner came back from his shoulder issue and started on Tuesday. In that same game, Devin Booker returned and started as the Pacers ended up winning comfortably. Ish Smith has now played. Uh, he played on Monday and he played on Wednesday. And the maybe one of the more impactful ones, Aaron Baines returned on Wednesday in that national TV game against the Toronto Raptors, and I thought he was an important part of their win. He was a really nice part of the of the the comeback. Eventually, Toronto came back as well, but I, I thought he did well in, in 14 minutes. Yeah, I can't decide whether we were just wrong on Baines and he was actually good this whole time or whether he's just massively improved in Boston. I'm more disposed to saying that it's the, the latter, and I mean, especially the three-point shooting is a new thing. He hit one of those uh, tippy toes threes. Uh, ben Taylor asked that we call him uh, Tippy Toes Baines, which I, I don't I don't know if I can go as far as to give him that moniker, but maybe we can refer to his three pointers uh, with uh, that nomenclature. Baines is a former Spur, and uh, his coach there, Greg Popovich, remains undecided about coaching the Spurs beyond this season, saying, uh, "I don't know the answer." When asked about his plans for next season, he turns. 70 on January 28th and he's also in the final season of a five-year contract extension although RC Buford of course I mean what else would you say obviously says that coach will pop it or, or, or <laughs> pop will coach uh and coach uh, will pop reporters uh as long as he wants to and uh pop will be doing USA basketball in the 2019 World Cup in China and the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo Yes, that'll be worth watching in, in terms of what how he wants to approach that and also how the Spurs are kind of lining up whatever the succession is because remember when you take a, a job and they have a, a wealth of assistant coaches and then eventually it goes to one person, that will presumably lead to some sort of exodus with their coaching staff. For the Raptors, after their loss, although it was a hard-fought loss, Kyrie Irving went absolutely crazy with 18 assists. In Boston, they're going to sit Lowry and Kawhi against the Suns and probably beat them anyway if uh, Tuesday is any indication. Devin Booker did return for the Suns uh, as they got completely housed uh, by the hole again with Miles Turner. Pacers, I guess we got to talk about this sorry Kyrie LeBron thing, which completely dominated the airwaves, uh, more so even, as Jeff Goodman pointed out, than a really nice win for Boston, very much Kyrie-driven. And Kyrie basically says, yeah, I called LeBron and I apologize to him because leadership is just so hard and I shouldn't have been calling out these young guys publicly. And, you know, I was 22 and I cared about my scoring average and all-stars and not winning championships. Uh, kind of worth noting a little bit that when you are that young, you kind of should care a little bit more about your own career than team success. I mean, sometimes team success will help your career, but like that's what gets you paid. That's what builds your brand. And I think there's... A lot of people have talked about this, how there's kind of this progression with an NBA player where at first you're trying to establish yourself in the rotation and then you're trying to start and then you're trying to get some stats and get some recognition and make an all-star team. And then maybe once you've done that, you know, and maybe even get an MVP. And then once you've done that, you get, oh yeah, what's my legacy? Win some championships. Like, you know, I think Anthony Davis, although I, I don't think he falls into the category, he's always been a winning player. Uh, but, you know, I think he, he's followed that to some degree now where, you know, right around the time you're 25, 26, 27, getting to the end of that second contract. And now you really uh, want to win. So, and Kyrie, of course, uh, is at that point uh, as well. But 
I mean, plenty of people are going to talk about this whole thing. This is just like male soap opera drama. I don't really care about it other than to say that again this is more this leadership bullshit and yeah you know what leadership does matter i'm not gonna say that leadership doesn't matter but i think at the very least we can agree that leadership is discussed probably about 10 times more in the media than it actually does matter i'm good with that and it the one thing i will say is that the human element is an extremely important part of the decisions that a lot of players make and that makes it important to our work including the Kyrie LeBron departure, though I've long felt that the personality, whatever conflicts between Kyrie and LeBron are an overstated part of of why Kyrie demanded a trade. And an understated part is that he knew LeBron was leaving. And so he wanted to get out of Dodge before LeBron, because remember, Kyrie's under contract. And so he didn't want to get trapped in this situation in Cleveland. He'd been through that before with how bad that team was even though he never played with LeBron the first time. And so he was he was smart. He Kyrie did right by himself, got into a far better situation than he would be in had this gone differently. Yeah, I mean, that trade worked out for him. I mean, it, as, w- whether he's going to apologize to LeBron for, uh, or not, he absolutely made the right decision in demanding a trade uh, when he did. Uh, Mark Stein reporting what I think uh, many of us anticipated just based on the contract and where the franchise is, that Jeremy Lin, Dwayne Dedman, and Kent Bazemore are all being made available in advance of the trade deadline with the Hawks looking for more draft picks. Presumably, such a trade would include picking up more bad money that goes through next year. I don't think that Lynn, Deadman are worth a first-round pick. There, there was a report that they're looking for a first-round pick for him. I would be very shocked if they get it just straight up for an inspiring, expiring contract. And, you know, as you said, it's just it's hard to do expiring for expiring and get back a, an asset as well. Usually, you have to take on someone whose salary is going to go longer. Kent Bazemore as well... You know, making almost $20 million these next two years. So he goes through 2020. As Sour 16s go, Bazemore actually turned out to not be that bad. I mean, he's at least still a quality player, unlike a lot of those guys who were signed that year. But he's still not a great contract, So, uh, but a guy who can help. And so we've talked many times about how taking back a real Sour 16 in exchange for Bazemore could be an idea. So the, the Hawks will be, for sure, a big team to watch. And having gone through this last year with Bellinelli and Ilyasova, I would say that Deadman and Lynn have maybe a little bit more value than those guys did, As you know, especially Bellinelli hadn't been playing well until he went to Philly and started lighting the world on fire. But uh, I'm going to be very interested to see whether the Hawks can get much for those guys, whether they are willing to accept second rounders, whether they pull a Memphis and Tyreek Evans and just decide the the offer isn't good enough. We're just going to hold on to him, even though he's leaving at the end of the year. Uh, a lot of intrigue involving the Hawks here. Another good piece of injury news: there was a scare in Chicago that Wendell Carter was ha- either had a broken had a broken thumb that might require surgery. Fortunately, he does not. The ligament is intact. He is day to day, so that's really good because what evaluating Wendell Carter is an important part of this Chicago Bulls season. And uh, there are kind of two two other significant stories that we should talk about. So I'll let you choose which one goes first and which one goes second between Demarcus Cousins and Daniel House. Yeah, Cousins, not huge. I mean, he's going to return against the Clippers. Chris Haynes reported today that the Warriors were willing to let Cousins return earlier, but he was going to be on like a 10-minute-a-game limit for some time, and that he felt more comfortable just you know going down to the G League and getting some practices in and doing some scrimmages and being able to play more minutes uh, immediately uh, upon his return. Much of this, of course, for Cousins is about increasing his value for free agency. And and I think that's probably the right decision that it's better to just bring him back when he can go. I mean, I'm sure we'll be on some kind of a minutes limit and they're just, I mean, in terms of what they need as a team and they're rolling right now, I don't know how much many minutes they even would need him to play if he were available more and how effective he's going to be. But I think it's just, it's better for the optics around his injury return to just have him come back and kind of just have him be a little bit more ready and, and able to play at least, you know, 20 minutes a game, a real role instead of just, oh, look at this curiosity. We'll throw him out there for 10 minutes and he's not going to have time to get into a rhythm. And, you know, there's just more of a feeling of like, hey, he's injured. He's on a 10 minutes. Remember, he was injured. He was injured. You know, so I, I think this is better. Windhorse also in a piece about where the Warriors go this offseason, noting that they expect a $100 million increase 
in revenue when they move into the Chase Center. They already, of course, are one of the highest revenue teams, at least in terms of their gate. They are not really in terms of their TV deal. They kind of got screwed by renegotiating that when they're at an ADR a very long-lasting nadir uh, shortly after Lacob took over the team so they're still pretty low in terms of their tv deal and i don't think that resets until like at the middle of the next decade at the earliest so that's not great but they're gonna have a ton of money and windhorse saying basically if kd and thompson come back and they have a 300 million dollar payroll so be it uh they're willing to pay those guys I mean, i'm sure they'll be cutting around the margins um but yeah let's talk about the house thing well, actually, one quick note before we right. get there. I, I was a part of a fun roundtable for The Athletic. We had all of our writers do a cousins-only kind of speculative one about his role, what what the takeaways are going to be, and all that kind of stuff. So you can read that before he debuts, I think would be better. That's theathletic.com slash capspace if you want to be a new subscriber. But we can move to Houston. So basically, there's been this protracted situation, it sounds like, with Daniel House. And I actually think it's good to start a step ahead of uh, a step behind where where all of this happened. And that's Daniel House basically agreed to step down to a two way contract in order to facilitate Gary Clark getting signed. And now what the problem is, is getting out of that two way contract because the Rockets reportedly he is represented by Raymond Brothers, a name that you've heard on the podcast because he, among other people, represents Marco Fultz, that Houston, according to him, Houston initially offered a three-year non-guaranteed deal very close to a hinky special. They rejected that. Then that has since been changed to a guaranteed three-year minimum deal, but House and his representation would prefer just converting him. And because by converting House, he gets a fully guaranteed remainder of this season because we're past the, the cutdown date. And then he becomes a restricted free agent in July. And so since Brothers and House and everybody would prefer that, we're kind of getting close to what I think, at least for right now, we're going to call it a Ty Wallace situation because the team can just kind of, they can hold on to it, I guess, if they want to. The stakes are a little bit higher for the Rockets. He's out of two-way service time here. So he's just going back to the G League and making, you know, five bucks a day or whatever it is, uh, just the normal G League salary. Once the G League season has concluded in late March, he will be able to return to the big club, but would not be eligible for the playoffs. After that, the Rockets can unilaterally convert him to a one-year minimum deal. Uh, he, but And that's what they want him to do, and they want him to be a restricted free agent. Three-year guaranteed minimum. I, I'm torn on this one. I, I think I'm not sure that with his performance as of now, House has really earned much more than the minimum. I mean, he's a little older. I think he's already 25. So to lock in for this year and two more at the minimum guaranteed... Now you're going to be 27, close to 28 by the time you're first free. And that's kind of tough. Those are your prime earning years. And House is a good enough player that he's, you know, a million dollars a year, 1.5 million a year. Is that really worth it that much to him? I mean, I think you're, that's not enough to just kind of retire on the rest of your life, right? So do you, do you want to just kind of play the game here and try to get out in the market earlier and get some money that's really life-changing there's not that much downside for someone like house i mean he's been around the fringes of the nba he spent time in the nba already certainly with his athleticism i think could make it a solid career overseas where he'd be making you know solid money if not you know amazing money maybe not quite as much who knows maybe even more it depending on where what kind of situation he ended up with and how well he fit in so I tweeted that, you know, I don't think he's earned much more than, you know, a guaranteed minimum at this point. I mean, he's had one good month of shooting the ball well in his career. He's definitely a very fringy player. So I understand Houston's standpoint, and they want to keep him under control, and they're feeling, hey, we're giving him a three-year guaranteed deal, and we've got these tax concerns, and so we're really we're only willing to do this to lock into more money if we get something on the back end. We have the possibility of you outperforming that. Whereas from House's perspective, you want to preserve some kind of an upside for your career. I mean, the way he shot the ball, I don't think it's really shooting like, you know, 49% of the last month or something. That's not real. But if he can get to adequate and he's got some athleticism, he can play some defense, uh, then maybe he can maneuver into like a life-changing type of money. You know, even if it's $12 million, you know, a, a three-year, $4 million deal, $4 million per season deal. So I see this from both sides, uh, and I'm seeing it more from House's side the more I think about it. But I, I do think this is going to devolve into quite a stalemate here. Um, 
and from houston's perspective maybe you should you could just say hey we'll offer you two years guaranteed at the minimum you know maybe that's it and then i think house already that would make house unrestricted at the end of that time i believe he already has two two years of service before this one so maybe that's where the compromise ultimately comes here that's where quinn cook ended up last year with the warriors where they were actually able to resolve this standoff uh of course, Ty Wallace went into the offseason a, a restricted free agency instead, and the Clippers never actually converted him. And yeah, this would be House's, he's in his third year of service now, so he'd be unrestricted at the end of, uh, if he did the rest of the season and then next year. So I think that's probably the compromise here. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, I see both sides of this to be sure. Sorry for rambling on so long, but it, it's kind of complex. And, and the, the two-way contract system, I mean, has, it, has its issues. And I think this is one that's... Uh, if you're really a player with you feel as like you have some nba upside i think signing a two-way is increasingly looking like a bad idea yeah i mean the team gets so much power to wield because they can unilaterally convert and because the qualifying offer now that qualifying offer in house's case isn't as big a deal as it has been other ones but basically just being another two-way contract like that was big in the ty wallace situation because basically he's just praying that somebody would actually offer him an nba contract and took so long and then the clippers ended up matching yeah with, with the pelicans uh offering that um also a little depressing out of houston brandon knight again left knee soreness he had that infection he had the torn acl i mean he really has not looked like anything close to the player that he was in phoenix uh, although he had a really bad year before the injury happened but you know it's kind of looking like he's uh, the chances of him contributing are, are getting to be pretty low here all right, that'll do it. Uh, don't forget about uh, the NBA cast. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just Google uh, Nate Duncan YouTube. You'll find that. Or watch on Twitch or Periscope. And our Patreon, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. We hope to make that essential over the next month or so, where you'll get uh, our mailbag podcasts, uh, subscriber questions. Only subscribers can listen. And then also our updated salary sheets uh, with projections uh, basically as soon as the transactions occur. Touch you all next time. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 